0: Welcome to Slugger TV. Um, This episode is coming from Accidental Theatre as part of Imagined Belfast Festival Um, and with me on the sofa um, at a suitable distance away (laughs) is Alison Morris from the Irish News and Festival Director uh, Peter O'Neill. Alison, as we look back from the previous episode to now, we've had Friday the 13th of March when the RHI report came out. How did you react to the report and was it as exciting or was it as kind of um, incisive as you expected?
1: No, I mean it was very frantic but there was no big shocking moments in it, you know, there was no smoking guns, nobody's gonna lose their job over it, nobody's gonna be prosecuted over it. I think had that report been released a year and a half, we'd have probably spent days reporting on it and analysing it and going through all the various aspects of it. Instead, it was was done very quickly because we are now in completely different times. We are living in a, a completely different world than we were three years ago. This is unprecedented. I think that one of the things that did stick out for me was to take that from the context it was in and put it in a sort of a modern, current context or contemporary context, was that Sir Patrick had said that he felt that the scheme was too ambitious for Stormont and they shouldn't have taken it on in the first place. And it was, you know, a green energy scheme. There is nothing ambitious about that. All they had to do was copy and paste a scheme from the UK and transfer it over here. Um, Instead, obviously, we know that the amendments and no point in going back over again where everything went wrong. But you have to think if that's too ambitious for those politicians, those politicians that, as we all sit here now, we are relying on to make decisions that are actually matters of life and death that are going to save someone that we love or possibly make a decision that's going to end up and you know thousands of people losing their lives and when you think if they're saying that you know a green energy scheme was too ambitious for them how are we meant to trust but it's basically the same personnel with a few you know shifts here and there who are in charge now so you know we're watching them very carefully I think that they' are finding it very difficult as well they're in, we're all moving into uncharted territory, this is a place that none of us have ever been and I hope we never will be again Um, and so therefore we're allowing them I suppose some space and some time to feel their way through it but I mean one wrong decision could be catastrophic right now you know this isn't a matter of one wrong decision might cost you know x amount of millions of pounds, money is only money at this point in time, I think that we're at the stage now where we're thinking well money we can you know we can excuse that but we can't excuse decisions that are risking people's lives so um, from that context I think to now, but I mean RHI, by the time it came around, it was such a done story if you know what I mean, so all the controversy had come out and then I think what happened was the inquiry itself was so good and that it was always live streamed that we had updates every night, we sort of knew everything that was going to happen. We would heard it all before, so all the big shocking moments we would already heard during the evidence sessions and therefore by the time they came into the report there was nothing there really to surprise.
0: Um- Pete, do you think that the inquiry, in a sense, the actual mechanics of the inquiry and the hearings uh, will probably stay on in your memory a little (laughs) bit longer than the actual report? That's kind of um, Sam McBride, when I was talking to him for the festival recently, Mm. that was kind of his impression was that um, it's written, it's kind of couched in very kind of careful language, it doesn't go too far, it's not too kind of flamboyant in its language, but it it does make the point, as Alison has said, that, you know, the North Ireland government wasn't capable of running what was essentially quite a simple scheme, a copy of an English thing, um, but um, in terms of your, your mind, what's its legacy likely to be?
2: Well, as you allude to, you know, the theatre, you know, of the, the, the actual presentations, from the long list of spads, ministers, civil servants, trooping into the Senate room and parliament buildings and, you know, being interrogated, you know, made great, you know, TV. But yeah, muted response really to the full report. you know, it's a really, uh, you know, anyone who's gone through it um, mm-hmm. will testify, you know, it's a very thorough report, but it's a typical judicial, you know, judicial, legal text. You know, it's, it is surprising in one sense, you know, to a lay person like myself, when it seems very clear that, um, you know, material was being leaked, um, all sorts of deviations from established codes. I'm sure the public at large, you know, they will find you know the, the lack of bite in a sense of the sense report really quite surprising. But as Alison says, time has moved on, and in a sense, I feel a bit sorry actually for Sam McBride because his forensic analysis of what going on, like that, is what I think people will will refer to rather than you know the actual the inquiry report. So in a sense, it's already out there. People have made their own sort of you know views on it. And I'm not sure if people really will escape. You know, I know Arlene Foster came out and to her credit, she was very contrite and fulsome apologies and the rest of it. But she has got off light. And so I suspect has the Northern Ireland Civil Service. Um, so yes, muted um, response. But I think the real skill now is, you know, for us in civil society is how we can actually learn the lessons from that and how public policy can now be made in a more comprehensive and, uh, you know, professional way. But as we see at the moment, they're all making it up on the hoof and goodness knows where we're gonna be in terms of unintended consequences. I was gonna down the line.
0: Um, you know, does it dent your confidence in the in the in the process of government and in the kind of mechanics of how civil service actually serves the people. Um, They're clearly moving heaven and earth at the moment to try and make things work in terms of health and education and and kind of prepare for things.
1: What I thought when I looked at the recommendations was one of the recommendations was that the Northern Ireland Civil Service should seek to um, employ people based on their ability and knowledge rather than just what grade they were in the civil service. And I thought, well, why on earth wasn't that being done in the first place? Can you imagine if you were trying to run a private business in the private sector and that's how you were hiring people? I mean, your business wouldn't last very long, and you can see why those mistakes were made. So that's sort of, you know, slavishly following these sort of civil service rules that you move up the grade, and you move up the grade, regardless of whether you have any knowledge or skill or expertise in that area or not. Um, I do think that the, the change in how the SPADs were appointed was very important. We need more accountability for that when we had the recent sort of raft of spads who were um, who were employed we were given biogs on all of them we were mm-hmm. told where they came from what their background was i remember about 10 years ago one of my colleagues asking for a similar and being you know told basically where to go by a number of press officers being told that they were private citizens it was none of her business where they came from that their background was none of her business um, and that was the kind of answer she would have got then. Um, but now, obviously, they know that we're watching, and also the the issue with the minute taken, because mm. let's face it, you know, in three or four years from now, when all this has died down, and hopefully we've gone back to some semblance of normality, these are the minutes that people will be sent Freedom of Information acts in to get to see how these decisions were made and how they came about. And the fact that they weren't taking minutes just because they didn't want people like me, to ask to see them, you know, I think that that was completely unacceptable and it was one of the most shocking things. I remember thinking the day that that evidence was given out and it was said that were, you know, it was frowned upon to take minutes because they didn't want to be scrutinised or made to look <laughs> bad in the press. Um, and, you know, all of that has changed and hopefully that, that is all for the better. There are still so many things that need ironed out and most of us wouldn't have had a great deal of confidence when you were working in that field anyway. But right now, I think, you know, when I'm watching what's happening in the last few days people are trying, you know, and they're trying because they realise how serious it is. So we have ministers in place who are really throwing their lot into trying to make sure that we get somewhere. I think we had a shaky start in relation to the arguments about well, whether the schools should close or shouldn't mm-hmm. close. Um, but what it's also done, I think, too, is... It's, it's made us look at the sort of tininess of our island and the you know the size of us and the scheme of things in the world and how we are how we run our business when it comes to a crisis like this across a tiny little island and how we need so much political cooperation north and south and these are things that were raised during brexit but were raised in terms of economy and trade and business and now we're talking about those exact same things but in terms of people's lives
0: and somehow the barriers are coming down and yeah. we're slowly getting there. Um, Alison, are you, are you confident that you can see kind of evidence of cross-departmental working which was often a problem that people sat in silos and didn't actually um, kind of cooperate? Do you, th- do you think we can get past the kind of the orange and green to actually make sensible decisions um, and good, least worst decisions if necessary over the next month?
1: I'm, I'm fairly sure that there isn't a Protestant COVID-19 and a Catholic COVID-19. So right now, I think that we all basically know that you know that this is something that we all need to pull together for. What I have, and I know that we're in early days yet, you have seen what ministers have really shown their worth. And, and by this time, we will judge them. You know, history will judge them on what they're doing right now. And those who have dithered, I don't think that Peter Weir has come out of this looking very well. He constantly seems to be looking to London for someone to give him, you know, the nod, but he's afraid to make decisions. I think Deirdre Hargay has come out amazingly. I mean, before we even got to the crisis we're at now, she'd already changed the entire benefit system Mm -hmm. and simplified it for people who were going to lose their jobs and for the self-employed. All of those things, I think, really mattered. I think Nicola Mallon has done very well. She's made a load of decisions very quickly in relation to transport and infrastructure and trying to ease things along. I think Swan has clearly the most difficult job in the executive um, and he's facing you know, like a, a job that I don't think any of us would envy at, at this stage in time. I think that he's coming across full of empathy and compassion and caring, you know, and I hope that he's taking on the right advice and listening to the right advice. And I do think that the First and Deputy First Minister have been brilliant when they have stood mm. side by side and spoken yeah. for the same hymn sheet. That would reassure people, and people are nervous, really mm. nervous Again, like i out and I'm still talking to people who I deal with from day to day. People who have not are not connected to the media or politics or anything else, and they are really really worried. So you need that united front, and I think that both both um, Arning Foster Foster, Michelle O'Neill have, have committed us quite well so far. Yeah,
2: the, and the optics are good. You know, just those two, you know, fronting it up. And um, okay, there were some you know mixed messages and you know issues about timing and the rest of it. But I think you know there is a general consensus in, in the community. So to you know give them a chance, let the ministers go out there. You know. I think most people appreciate just how difficult it is, not just for them, but for civil servants, for the whole public sector. And I hope that you know, these stakeholders realise just how powerful you know, community support is behind them, and you do get that sense. But, uh, and it's great to see this reliance on experts. Like, where's Michael Gove now, thankfully? you know, um, <laughs> We're no longer post-expert, are we? Yeah. But, you know, it's great to see our local politicians, but also, you know, Conservative Party, you know, following in line with the expert view from, you know, their own scientific. Medical advisors. advisors
1: have really came to their yeah. own, haven't they? These are people <laughs> whose names probably none of us, you know, we wouldn't have known, you know, six months ago and now their household names, you know, the the amount of academics who, you know, none of us might have spent our whole lives having never to know who these people are and all of a sudden. T V can of of a get some though, other yeah. guests for yeah.
2: future episodes. Yeah. Um, so it's great to see that sort of reliance on expert advice. And I think that might be one of the you know, the long term consequences either that, you know, in the public sphere, you know, the role of experts, you know, is going to be reinforced. But I also think in in the wider political context, you know, this idea of the states, you know, the you know, since Thatcher, you know, the rollback of the state, adherence to a small government. And I think more and more of us now realise that, you know, we need the investment in our health service, not just to deal with the sporadic, you know, the isolated sort of incidents of, you know, trolley weights and whatever. But as an absolute co- coherent political ideology, in a sense, we need to invest properly in our public services, simply because these sort of crises are likely to be coming down the line, I'm afraid, you know, for the foreseeable future. And, and so wha- The role and of the big state, I think, is going to be a bigger political
0: mm-hmm. um, priority for us. In Westminster, Alison, is it fair to say that the Conservative Chancellor turned out to be a bit of a socialist and um, that I mean <laughs> maybe he has no choice maybe... I maybe would go
1: as far to say communist. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, Perhaps
0: everybody in that circumstance that <laughs> all they can do, the only human reaction really is to kind of go to that length but certainly it's if you if you're it's different if you're self-employed at the moment whether that, that may change it's too It's fascinating but
1: because it's a Tory government and what the decisions are making so they're taking part of the railways back into public ownership um, there's nursing homes and private hospitals being brought back into public ownership you know they have you know they said they'll pay people in the hospitality industry and anyone who's lost their jobs wages, Um, they've lifted all sorts of restrictions, they've put homeless people into the empty hotels, you know all of these things which I'm pretty sure could have been done you know at another time have been done but what I will say is while we're all praising them now to get us through this crisis do not think that we will not have to pay this back at some stage. <laughs> this is not charity.
0: I mean, we're borrowing. This um, is not charity. They is... are
1: throwing billions and billions of pounds at Interest this. Interest rates and are When all well, this is over, we will have to pay that back. And mm. I can only imagine the kind of austerity that's coming to us down the road. Mm. So do not think for one minute that these are charitable donations that we're all receiving. And after this, the slate will be wiped clean mm. and we'll all go back to living lovely affluent lives. All mm. of the money that is being borrowed to fix this mess, and I think that it should be barred. I think it should be used in exactly the way it is. But do not be mistaken, we will have to pay this back at some point. But
0: that could be a 50 year, that could be coming off taxes for the next 50 years. I mean, it's a, this is kind of, it, it is a bit like a war, um, except it's not against another country, it's against a virus, but it, it is, sort of it's that plan. scale We're of... we <laughs> war footing.
1: Like, I mean, you can see the, the coronavirus bill that's been put yes. through and that'll go rush straight through Westminster. There'll be practically no debate about it. If you had tried to impose those kind of laws which are basically just removing all our civil liberties we're going to be living in you know in a military totalitarian state
0: there the would have potential been widespread be objection
1: yet. to it, but there's not, because these are not normal times. This is not normal circumstances. You know, to be able to, they're extending the powers of how you can section people and detain them. Mm-hmm. They're saying you can forcibly quarantine people. There's not going to be any inquest or scrutiny of deaths. Um, we've also, you know, as of, of today, it's been announced that the prisons are going to release all sorts of prisoners back into society to clear out the, the prisons. Um, There is is aspects of that bill that, you know, concern to me deeply, but but at the same time too what we have to do, I suppose, as a journalist that would be holding these people to account is to make sure that this bill is only used for the duration of this crisis, and it will have to then.
2: But as we know, states love, authoritarian states love a crisis, and Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the stuff as we've known in the past, and particularly from Northern Ireland in terms Mm -hmm. of our emergency legislation. Just tend to hang on mm-hmm. to the statute book. Um, yeah, that was meant to be
0: temporary. <laughs> <as well. And laughs> does, does that worry you? Do you see that the the, accident, the accidental, not even intentional, abuse of power, but the mm-hmm. once you have it, well, it kind of makes things go a bit slicker. So we just keep it. Does that worry you, <laughs> or do you think people will kind of stand up and say, "Ah, uh-uh, emergency over, um, get that off the books now, <laughs> review it immediately"? Well, I think two things. One, as you
2: look at China and you know the authoritarian states, particularly how they use. Of social media, you know, apps on phones to check, you know, that you're infected. You know, the way the states, you know, some states have been able to use technologies like that to actually manage to increase surveillance. You know, that obviously is a great concern because I'm sure um, President Trump and a few others, you know, will actually see these sort of measures, the use of, you know, IT as a, as a means of actually controlling um, staff. But on the other hand, I am. Very um, optimistic about the role of civic society. I think people in Northern Ireland have really come together on this. You do detect it in the air, you know, a sense that, you know, we have to come out of this in a stronger, more united, and a more, I, how I hope in a way, a much more um, sophisticated civil society that will actually hold our politicians to account more, that will scrutinize government. And I think, you know, particularly when you talk to young people, you know, who are, you know, very anxious about the future. You know, I think they really want to see some something powerful has to come out of this crisis and that's why our festival to be frank is mm-hmm. really opportune I think in terms of raising these issues and actually being able to stimulate new ideas on, on politics yeah, and culture. So,
1: one of the aspects of the coronavirus bill is the ripple legislation which we all know is used at some stage to spam people who the government may think be involved in criminal activity or terrorism or activism. Um, that would have been a I think it was three days that they could basically tap your phone for before they had to then get permission Mm. from a judge and now it's going to be 12 days. That would be one of the things I would be watching after this Mm. to make sure that that does not stay on the statute and that is reduced back to where it was because that would be the kind of powers reduced against people like me who are working in security (laughs) journalism, you know, that kind of, those kind of snooping powers, which they're saying are essential so they can track people who are refusing to comply with self-isolation and quarantine. And... Um, there's nobody is objecting to this bill. You know, there's no political party standing and saying mm-hmm. we're gonna object it. It will go through and it will go through and by Thursday evening this, that was this is the new world that we will be living in. Um but it's just how long it's used for. So we accept it. we're in exceptional times and that calls for exceptional measures, mm. but we just have to make sure that the, these exceptional laws are only used for the period of time of this disaster. But I will agree with what you said. I have seen, okay, some appalling behaviour from some people, you know, in the the, the great, you know, toilet roll rush of 2020. We'll, <laughs> we will all remember that forever and a day. We've seen people, you know, crying and supermarket aisles because they couldn't buy baby food for their children. But also so many acts of kindness and so many cross-community acts of kindness. It's almost as if you don't even call across community anymore because it's just community helping each other and people mm. coming forward and churches. And we had a lovely story in the Irish News last week about the, the Masonic Lodge and the Shankill mm. helping That's people funny. in the falls. And all of these, you know, all of these, like the women's groups and all of the weak community groups and before and I think that you can see that there's so much kindness and even this week one of the things because I was very emotional this week about my parents, they're elderly and they're in that risk group but I'm absolutely distracted about them and it was just the pictures of all the children drawing rainbows and putting them in the windows so that you know people can see them to give a bit of hope and you can see that you know these are terrible times it is almost like being at a war and you sort of feel mm-hmm. that we're in the very early days <laughs> of a war that we haven't actually you know get into the full of but that you would hope that One thing is that we can see that we can repair our planet in ways that we don't need to be doing all the things that we were doing before, Um, and also that we could be much kinder to each other and much more healing of each other, because when it comes to a disaster like this, it doesn't discriminate, it doesn't look at... Who has the? It doesn't look at class, it doesn't look at colour, it doesn't look at religion, it doesn't look at any of those things. Every single one of us will be impacted by this. Mm. And therefore, that if there's ever one thing that will bring us together, it's something so awful mm. as, as this pandemic.
0: I mean, the Life and Time survey and so on, the, the next one that goes out, the answers will be very interesting to see whether we can track and whether that is banked, those kind of changes in community and the attitudes towards each other and whether it slips over time or whether it just builds.
1: Well, it would be lovely um, think if they were. I mean, if you, the, the Health Minister was saying, that the worst-case scenario is 15,000 people. Now, when you bear in mind are 3,600 people died in the (coughs) Troubles, everyone I know knows somebody who was murdered in the Troubles. Now, if you you take that Mm. and you multiply that by four, we're all going to know people that are going to die in this crisis, and therefore that is something that we will all Mm. have in common. You know, this tragedy is something we'll all have in common, and the, the, the ability and the adversity to try and beat this and to try and move on and to help each other, that is something that we'll all have in common as well.
0: How difficult is it, Alison, to report on some of this? Because, in a sense... Um you want to hold politicians um, and, so, and kind of security forces and so on to, to to account. You also need to give them a bit of space to kind of get on and do the thing and actually encourage people to listen to sensible messaging um and yet Um, And you're also kind of looking ahead and you're a bit more probably aware of how bad this is going to get.
1: (laughs) Journalists people think that they sent them from the moon, you know, I'm a citizen of this place and I have family who I am really, really worried about and I have children who I'm so concerned about and, you know, one of my daughters works in Dublin and I'm really worried about her and all sorts of other things. So you're doing this. And at the very start, when we started reporting on this several weeks ago, Um, My colleague Shawnee Graham, our health correspondent, has been completely outstanding. I don't know when she sleeps, because Mm. she has just been constantly getting information and really double sourcing everything and making sure it's good, accurate information. Um, It was a health story, but it's not a health Mm. story anymore. (coughs) It's an everything story now. You know, it's all of us. And so the security implications of what's going to happen, how police are going to cope, how our frontline services are going to cope, What's going to happen if law and order breaks down? You know, what happens if people panic and they, you know, when they do start then taking the streets and trying to loot supermarkets? How mm-hmm. are we going to cope with that? You know, will the army be brought back onto the streets again? Because that has such significance in this place. Yeah. All of those things we're now considering, all of that. So it's no longer just a health story. It's, you know, it's in everything. It caught every aspect of our life. Is going to be touched mm. by this.
0: And Pete, you're running a festival of, poli- of ideas and politics, um, we're into the fourth or fifth year of it and um, it feels like it's been here forever but um, you still have hair left so it clearly hasn't gone that long. Just about. <coughs> but I mean you would never have thought that you would be taking the festival online, you never would have thought that you wouldn't have audiences in a, in a venue like this. Um, it's been a real change it's, and it's happened at a pace that you could barely predict Kind of you know three weeks ago you were thinking hmm maybe some things will be curtailed two weeks ago yeah something will change a week ago we'd have to get rid of audiences you know so it, it's, it's moved very very fast it has and i suppose it reflects
2: generally what's happened in the body politic you know we've had to you know respond really quickly it's been an organizational challenge but um in a sense we're lucky you know it's opportune for us we're mm-hmm. at the right place at the right time and we had the tech backbone i suppose you know with venues like accidental theater and 343 three, to be able to move a big proportion of our events online. So yes, I think we're lucky you know, I think we can shed some light on these developing, you know, on, on the way things are, are moving. Um, I suspect it'll take maybe three or four years for us to properly digest and the unintended consequences that are coming down the line. Mm-hmm. But we are what we are, we're able to deliver three days of informed debate but also some entertainment. And I think it's important that you do try to lift the mood, that we oh, use definitely. comedy, that we use poetry, we use the arts in a sense, you know, to interrogate some of the more nuanced, more difficult issues that really emotion emotionally that we have to engage with, rather than the very hard, yeah. factual news that, you know, people like Alison... Oh, we definitely,
1: <coughs> you're right, you know, we need something <laughs> to give us warmth and hope. And, you know, and, and that is when I think, you know, all of those young people who have been involved in developing all these technologies and maybe nobody's been paying any attention to them and all of a sudden all these little tiny businesses you now seem so relevant because we're trapped in our homes and, you know, we grannies on you know, on iPads, you know, <laughs> trying to talk to their grandchildren <laughs> and um, the, the fact that, you know, I know that my one of my um, work colleagues, her daughter, was doing a drama class and the drama teacher's now teaching them on online and Google Hangouts and all the kids are oh. on that and um, you've got, you know, uh, fitness trainers doing fitness classes online mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. young people while they're off school and doing PE lessons. Mm-hmm. I've been following a couple of online cookery demonstrations to kill my time to get my time when I'm in the house. Mm-hmm. And all of these things, you know, we're, we've found, isn't it amazing how quickly, you know, the human spirit finds a way to adapt and right. communicate with each other, you know, and keep on going. And
2: it's sort of rehabilitating, isn't it? You know, the Tintranet and, you know, social media actually does a very powerful role in connecting us all. So, you know, maybe we can actually to find a more productive use you know, of these technologies and, and actually move forward. And check to the
1: to toxicity out of social media because it was used for such <laughs> a long time mm. for such negative purposes and mm. now all of a sudden you can be, see it being used for good and people saying I can offer this service or is there anyone really I could drop this off to and people you know, trying to help mm. strangers and using that for that and there's not a much nicer use of it than Spending your day online trolling people.
0: Yeah. I mean, Alison, you mentioned earlier about the army, certainly in Great Britain, are being talked about as they will be kind of doing supply chain stuff and um, trying to make sure that various goods get to hospitals and so on. Uh, they may also have a role in terms of setting up field hospitals to do kind of testing um, uh, places that people can kind of drive through or whatever. Um, is that I mean, is that beyond the pale that for Northern Ireland that actually they could they could be accepted that they, this is a fine time for them to do that or would that actually expose the fact that we haven't, that that's still just too difficult for the British army it's for some a, to be it's seen? It's
1: such a, a strange thing because being we spent so long you know, developing a peace process to get the army off the streets mm-hmm. and here we have, I mean, can we accept members of the army in a humanitarian role and the Irish army will be carrying out humanitarian mm-hmm. duties we know that in, in the Republic um, if we can't manage and if we get to the point and I mean so just today you know for an article that I, i'm running in the irish news i spoke to a frontline police officer who said if we go into lockdown and i go into a house where there's a very serious domestic violence situation i arrest that person that person is infected i can't take them to a custody suite mm-hmm. i can't drop them off at any i can't let them go because they could kill somebody where do you take them mm-hmm. and that's at the point where you might be looking at maybe the military setting up some kind of thick field center hospital type detention center where people can be held but that's only going to be very small amounts of, amounts of people. We can find a way to, to try and adapt that without having to bring the military in but I think it, if, if we do and it's a matter of if your loved one is going to die or they're going to be treated by an army medic, I don't think anyone's going to argue with the fact that the army medic's going to step in and, and help in a crisis.
0: And you think our politicians can cope with that and um, will give the leadership to say pipe, pipe down you're, you have your worries are justified but not at the moment it's you know. just not
1: been played up at all and i think that that's maybe a sign that they're looking at this in a completely new light i mean i haven't heard um fein haven't objected to this bill for a start mm-hmm. which i can't imagine that they would have agreed to in any other circumstances um i haven't heard much said at all because at this point in time i suppose we're looking at a way of of trying to cope without having to bring in military assistance it depends how long this goes on for i mean mm-hmm. if this goes on for a length of time and you have. Um, frontline police officers dropping of coronavirus or having to self-isolate and you have frontline medical staff um, having to self-isolate and the numbers are going down and down and down eventually someone's going to have to step in and fill that gap and, and and meanwhile we're just you know at this point in time we're in scenarios that may or may not ever happen um I don't see how people could take to the streets to object about that. First of all, you wouldn't be allowed out in the streets because the new building says you're not allowed to gather anywhere. We may so never, Nobody can object to it whether they want to or not anyway. We may never get home and we'll still be here in three <laughs> weeks' time.
0: This could just be a very one very long episode of kind of Big Brother. Um, thankfully, Alison could cook. Um, <laughs> more cookery demonstrations, please. Um, Pete, in a in a previous life, as well as doing comedy festivals and ideas festivals, you've been into the use of evidence and um, the fact that evidence should be kind of uh, is vital for policy. Are you encouraged that... we're, we've kind of been given evidence by experts these days and do you think we're understanding it and are we kind of been given it in a way that actually it's helping us come to terms with what are quite big changes to civil liberties that we don't realise we have until the very point that you're about to get sectioned or you've been kind of lifted off the street because you're mm-hmm. meant to be in quarantine according to somebody else's judgment. Are you happy with that we're kind of we're tuned in and ready for an evidence-based life for the next few months? Well, I hope so. And you know, I think so far so good. You know,
2: the people are listening to the experts by and large and thankfully our political classes you know seem to be you know taken on board and not point scoring mm-hmm. and trying to distort what can sometimes be very difficult you know material to digest um, and you know I think there is a danger you know, we're jumping into as Alison said really uncharted territory you know some huge policy you know changes are coming in the whole idea of you now we the state has talked about you know moving online, you know people working more remotely now we're mm-hmm. doing that whole scale you know there's no mm-hmm. experimentation there's no piloting we're jumping straight down you know that 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 particular um, hole uh, um, all sorts of really drastic sort of changes to our life are now coming down the line. Are they going to be properly you know evaluated you know assessed managed like you know what's going on in the background in terms of you know been able to document the changes that we're going through you know i I really think that you know, looking back in history you know this will be seen as such a, an, an important you know time so I hope that all our sociologists and you know um, artists and you know a whole range of people that can help um, document and make us make sense of this difficult period you know that they're, they're, they're going to be involved in this process and that government as a whole can improve and that we as citizens can engage much more effectively and that's so maybe move more citizens assemblies ways in which we can use the internet in terms of participatory budgeting for example you know helping our politicians govern better and i think that's we said the lesson i think from this period is that we don't you know regardless of whether the army comes in or Um, you know, we bring in these sort of structural reforms. The bottom line is that we as a community have to stick together and we have to implement these changes ourselves in our own personal lives, and then the the people who we interact with. And I think that hopefully will be the real lesson that we as a community have to get involved in government and not just leave it to the political cadres, you know, Mm -hmm. to to manage this on our behalf.
1: And then be grateful for, you know, all the things we have, I think that we're all getting very, you know, self-absorbed and, and not really thinking about mm-hmm. the bigger picture and all the, the, the rights and the beautiful spaces and the freedom that we do have. And it'll be lovely that when this all lifts and we can all go out, you know, into the fresh air and, and hopefully be nicer, kinder people. And um, although I, I do agree that, you know, you can see that taking all those cars off the road and helping the planet repair itself during this time too, um, will, you know, I think it will be invaluable. But also to remember, you know, that just because people can work from home doesn't mean they always should be working from home. I mean, as a journalist, I will be working from home for the foreseeable future. But when I'm dealing with someone who has undergone a tragedy or trauma, I want to sit beside them. You know, I want to <coughs> look them in the eye. You know, I, I want to have a cup of tea with them. I want to talk to them. And sometimes you have to hold someone's hand or give them a, a hug to comfort them and let them go. And that kind of personal contact is not something I, I've already seen before this happened, journalism go towards that way where people are office-based, and they do all their stories online, they never leave the office, and that's not who I am, and it's not who I think that we should be. Um, and so I think that you know, we should look at how many people possibly can have a better work-life balance and work from home, but if it's just a case of saving money on office space, I don't think that everyone should be, because we your mental health too. I think this is going to be so damaging for so many people's mental health. Like we're going to go into lockdown and some people were already struggling as it Mm -hmm. is and they'll they'll really struggle during that time. And that's when technology and social media and everything comes Mm -hmm. into its own and communication and and all sorts of other things. I feel so sorry for people who are isolated and live in Mm -hmm. rural communities and are maybe on their own and they're going to really struggle. So all of that I think gives us a chance to show a, a maturity that maybe... We we speak so much about the legacy of our conflict and how we're going to deal with the legacy of our conflict, and maybe this will be the time where we can say the legacy of our conflict is done and dusted. We are now one community mm-hmm. who's coming together to face, you know, a, a, an invisible enemy that is not going to, you know step around one of us because we go to a different church and, and attack another one it's just going to go through the whole whole community so we could come together as one and that would maybe be if we're looking again at such the horrible predictions that are meant to come in the coming weeks that could maybe be one positive thing that we could cling on to
0: okay well thank you for your discussion today Um pete o'neill Alison morris i've been alan maven and this has been slugger tv and we encourage you to continue washing your hands to continue staying at home and we hope that we'll see you in the next month or so for the next episode Thank you.